And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning as we do turn our attention to these wonderful words of life, your word, the Bible, the word of God, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would work through your word in each and every one of our lives. Show us where we are wrong and weak. Work in us for your glory, Lord. For those of us who have wandered off, wandered off, bring us back to yourself. Those of us who are struggling this morning, Lord, encourage our hearts. In the midst of pain, give us joy and hope. Give us strength and grace for the days ahead. New mercy each morning, even as you promised, Lord. As we turn our attention to these words of life, work in us. For your glory, our good. Guide our thoughts, Lord. Give me boldness to proclaim the word of God with authority and with clarity. Help all distractions to fade away as we focus in on what you would have for us this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This past week... Thursday evening through Saturday afternoon, the NFL draft took place. In fact, over the last several days, 259 players heard their name called as they were drafted over the course of six rounds. And of all 259 players, I can guarantee you one thing. I can guarantee you that not one of them woke up Thursday morning and for the first time the thought crossed his mind, you know what, I kind of want to play football. I think I'm going to put my name in the draft tonight. You see, the road to the NFL is difficult. The road to any professional sport is difficult. It requires intense training and discipline, complete dedication to the cause. It's not something you just wake up and roll out of bed and decide, I'm going to do this today. It is something that controls your life from a young age. It controls the things you eat and drink, the things that you put into your body. It controls how you use your time, where you go and come from. It even controls how much sleep you get. For these 259 players, every second of their lives for the last several years has been accounted for. Every minute, every second has been dedicated to the cause of football. It affects not just what they do, it affects how they think. And in the end, they would tell you that it's all worth it in order to play football for a living. 
You see, the Bible compares the Christian life to the life and training of an athlete. In several passages, the Christian life is compared to the life and training of an athlete. A passage like Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. 2 Timothy 2, 5. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 to 8. All of these passages, the Christian life is compared to the life and training of an athlete. The call to follow Christ is a call to be committed. It's a call that, like an athlete, affects every area of your life. Even how you think, as we'll see this morning. And so this morning, as we turn our attention to this passage in 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 16, we're going to see the gospel-transformed thinking and gospel-transformed living. Gospel-transformed thinking and gospel-transformed living. The first thing you see in verse 13 is gospel-transformed thinking. And you'll note that verse 13 starts with that word, therefore, which tells us that 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 is a word of context. This is where we find ourselves in the book, even as we we looked at this last week. But 1 Peter 1, 1 1-2, remember God's great love for you. It's right where Peter starts. 1 Peter 1, 3-5, remember God's great power to keep you. 1 Peter 1, verses 6-9, to understand then the purpose of your struggle. Life is hard. It is full of suffering. But in Christ, even that suffering has meaning, as Peter tells us. 1 Peter 1, verses 10 to 12, even as we looked at last week, marvel at God's great salvation plan. Now as we come to verse 13, we move to application. We started with truth, this is what is true. Now application, therefore. In fact, it's really the truths of verses 1 through 12 that Peter then starts there and then builds the rest of the book of 1 Peter off of these truths. This is who you are in Christ. This is what God has done for you. In fact, right from the beginning, one commentator notes this, right from the start, the epistle's theology is placed in the context of worship. Peter doesn't start with, do this, do this, do this. Peter starts with, this is who God is. This is what he has done for you. This is your great salvation, the hope that you have. Therefore, do this. The Christian life itself is an act of worship. Therefore, So therefore, in light of your great salvation, therefore, in light of your secure salvation, therefore, in light of the purposeful nature of this life, even including suffering, in light of your precious salvation, therefore, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Therefore, be sober. Therefore, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. It's kind of an odd phrase, gird up the loins of your mind. What what does that even mean? 
Well, the idea of girding up the loins, if you think of uh, like a, wearing a robe uh, or a dress, lady, that's probably easier for you to think about than for us men, right? But something that's long and flowing, something that's difficult to, to work in, something that's difficult to run in. The idea of girding it up is to, is to pull that up and to tie it off, to tie it around the waist, to free your legs for action. Be prepared for action. Pull up and tuck in everything that would hinder you or pull you back. Prepare your mind for action is the idea here. What are those things that hold you back? Those things that would slow you down in your Christian life? Get rid of them. Gird up your mind. And note that he says there, your mind. He's dealing with thinking. Even as our point is gospel transformed thinking. Before he even gets to your action, as we'll see as we get into verses 14 and 15, he's starting with just now, think rightly. Prepare your mind for action. I read an article several years ago I enjoy golf. I haven't. I don't get to golf as much as I would like to. Living uh, here in Iowa, uh, you can only do it part of the year, not year round like you could in, in South Carolina. Uh, but uh, I do. I do enjoy golf, and every time I'm, I'm with my dad and brother, we go out and, and play. And uh, so I was reading an article several years ago. Professional golfer Jordan Spieth uh, was talking. It was an interview, and they were talking to him about his, his golf game. See, a lot of people kind of view golf as uh, something you do to just relax. Those people have never played golf because it's not relaxing and it's very frustrating. But it's something you do to relax. You, just, you go out onto the course, you're with your friends, you're having a good time, it's relaxing. Jordan Spieth, this professional golfer, essentially in this article said that he is unable to enjoy golf in that way. To him, golf is not something that is at all relaxing. You see, several professional players, in order to improve their game, every single shot that they take, they track, they keep count of. Today, I hit my nine iron 150 yards over the sand trap. It landed three feet from the hole. They keep track of every shot. He's not able to just go on a course and just hit around with his buddies. Every time he steps on the golf course, his mind is engaged. He is focused. He is locked in. For him, a golf course is not a place of relaxing. It's a place of training. It's a place of work. And brothers and sisters, that is the idea. Don't just float through life mindlessly. But be locked in. Every day as you wake up, as you roll out of bed, as you step out of the door, have your mind locked in. Know what you're doing. Know where you're going. Know who you are in Christ. Know the living hope that you have. There's a purposefulness to this. 
Don't just float through life. Know the truth. Gird up your mind. Be prepared to think rightly. Secondly, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Be sober. We understand the concept of to be sober. We understand it a lot of time in the, in the context of alcohol or drugs. It is the opposite of being drunk or under the influence. To be sober is have, to have control of your faculties and your thinking. But here, Peter's talking about more than just in terms of alcohol, drugs. He's just generally do away with everything else that would control you, everything else that would hold you back. Wayne Grudem in his commentary puts it this way. The idea of being sober here, letting your mind wander into any other kind of mental intoxication or addiction which inhibits spiritual alertness or laziness of mind which lulls Christians into sin through laziness. Not only prepare your mind for action, but have control of your mind. Have control of your thoughts of what comes in. The idea here is not just of bad things, shy away from alcohol, shy away from drugs, shy away from from things that would take control of your life, but even good things. Be sober in your thinking, even in terms of good things, things that could take control of your mind. Things that could take the place of Christ. Things like career, possessions, recreations, hobbies, friendships. Those are good things. And yet they are things that could lead you astray. Career. It's very easy for your career, your ambitions to take control of your mind and your thinking and for that to control you. And Peter is saying, don't let that control you. Let this control you. Don't let your career have control of your mind. Even possessions, right? Possessions can be a good thing. We have to have some possessions. But materialism is a bad thing. Letting those possessions have control of you and drive you. Hobbies can be a good thing, and yet they can also be a bad thing if that hobby takes control of your mind and your life. If that is all that you are thinking about. What Peter is saying here is, brothers and sisters, in light of your great, secure, purposeful, precious salvation, in light of all that God has done for you in Christ, have control of your minds. Think rightly. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This last one here, rest your hope fully upon the grace that's to be brought to you. 
the revelation of Jesus Christ, this is really the big idea. This is what Peter's getting at here. How is it that I rest my hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to me at the revelation of Jesus Christ? I do this by girding up the loins of my mind and by being sober. The other two describe this last one. This is the big idea. This is what I want you to get. I want you to rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Rest your hope fully in your living hope. By controlling your mind and by being ready for action. Note the words there, rest your hope fully. It's, it's determination. It is a determined mindset. I will think rightly. I will be ready. I will not let anything else have control. What is the thing that controls me? It is the grace that is to be brought to me at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is my living hope. It is living with an eternal perspective. Not tossed to and fro with the circumstances and the feelings of this life, but steady with my eyes on eternity and my hope, my salvation in Christ. It is to live for Christ without reserve, total surrender. Rest your hope fully. I think of that idea, rest your hope fully. I don't know if you've ever been up to our our camp, IRBC, and if you've ever done the uh, zip line, and, and you walk up to the edge of that zip line, and it looks a lot higher up there than it does on the ground. It's easy on the ground to say, yeah, I can do that. And you get up there, and you look down, and it's high. And you have to put your full trust in that harness and that, I don't know, whatever you call it, line, I guess. And you step off. And for a second, you kind of fall, and then it catches you. Right? That is resting your hope fully in that. You are putting everything, all of your hope and dreams, everything is on that harness, right? If that thing doesn't hold, you're in trouble. And so you step off trusting it's going to hold you. That's the idea here, brothers and sisters. Put your hope fully It's a lot harder to do this than to say this. It's easy to say, yeah, I trust, I trust fully. And yet we tend to still kind of take things into our own hands, do we not? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, think rightly, rest your hope fully. Upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the salvation in which you presently participate, that which will be consummated at Jesus' return. What Peter is saying here is think rightly with a gospel-transformed mind. Think in terms of the gospel when it comes to life. 
Know what you have in Christ and allow that truth to then inform and shape your thinking. It is a proper view of the gospel that informs then a proper approach to life. Fully trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Stepping off into life with that right mindset. So Peter starts here, think rightly. And then in verses 13, or 14 to 15, he moves on then to gospel transformed living. How you think affects how you live. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. As obedient children. This precious salvation, this great salvation that you have in Christ, not only directs your thoughts, it directs your life. It informs your actions. And note here the reference, even all the way back to 1 Peter 1.3, as obedient children. 1 Peter 1.3, where Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. He has called us to life. He is our Father. That language of a father and son. It's a reminder that you are not alone in this. God has not left you to do this on your own. But as obedient children, you are following what he has commanded, what he has said. You are clinging to his promises. Not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, right? Former lusts, as in your ignorance, that's that's who you were. That's not who you are now. Your ignorance that is before Christ when you didn't know any better, when you were driven by your lusts. Now in Christ, don't conform yourselves to your former lusts. Don't obey your lusts. Obey Christ. It's a danger that we must constantly fight against. In fact, know what he says here. I think, this is, I think this is important. There's other places in Scripture, Ephesians, even later on here in 1 Peter, well, he will warn us against the devil, the fact that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but, but against spiritual forces. But here, he doesn't say, as obedient children, not giving in to the devil... He doesn't remind you of the danger out there. That's not what he's concerned about. Here, he's concerned about the danger inside. These are lusts from within you. They're former lusts. Paul Tripp has an excellent book, Sex in a Broken World. It is a quote in there that I think ties in right here perfectly. He says, you'd better understand that the brokenness doesn't live just outside of you, but inside you as well. This is important to get because the brokenness inside will hook you to the temptations outside. Be aware, brothers and sisters, that it's not just outside that's dangerous. It's inside. You are a sinner. 
Your greatest problem is not that you live in a wicked environment. It's that you have a wicked heart. Be aware of that. Don't conform to those lusts. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. As he who called you. It's a theme that recurs in 1 Peter, the idea of being called. In fact, four times in 1 Peter and once in 2 Peter, Peter uses the language of calling. He is stressing the fact that this is all of God. It is God who has called you from darkness into light. It is God who will keep you. It is God who is doing this in you. The one who has called you to this is the one who will keep you through this. And he is holy. So you also be holy in all your conduct. Be holy. The idea of holy is to be separated to God. You no longer live in the realm of sin and death. You live now in the realm of holiness and life. Because God who has called you is holy, you also are called to be holy. You have been declared righteous. Live like it. And note it's not just some of the time or in some areas. This is in all of your conduct, in everything. In everything. It is a pattern of life every day, every moment, every thought, every action. Taken captive to the Lord Jesus Christ, even as another passage in Scripture says. In all your conduct. Why? Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Why? Why should I do this? Because God has said so in his word. Leviticus 11.44 Be holy, for I am holy. Have you ever felt out of place, like you didn't belong somewhere? I remember one time, as a young kid, my grandparents lived uh, on the campus of Bob Jones University. They have a a house up in the uh, on front campus, and um, I remember one time as as a young man, I was I don't know eight, ten years old, somewhere there. I remember I was out in the front yard. I was playing and, and having a good time. And a security guard pulled up. And he came alongside and he got out and he came over and he said, hey, do you know whose house this is? Yeah? Well, whose? My grandparents? Okay. And he left. I, I had a right to be there. I did belong there. And the question might pop up in your mind, well, what right do I have to live in the land of the holy, in the realm of the holy? What right do I have to live and move in the realm of the holy? And the answer is, because God has called you, because God has said so in his word. 
Notice he doesn't say, uh, be holy, uh, but as he who called you is holy, uh, you also must be holy in all your conduct because you can do it, because, because you're good enough, because you've proven yourself worthy. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy, because you belong here. Because God has called you here. Because God has equipped you for holiness. We often think that way, do we not? That's often one of the, the devil's tricks. Who do you think you are? You don't belong here. You're not holy. You have no right to claim to belong here. Who do you think that you are? What's the answer to that question? I am redeemed. I am God's. I have been made new. I belong here because the word of God says, be holy for I am holy. Brothers and sisters, in Christ you belong. So act like it. Live with confidence. Live holy. I've had the privilege to visit the Holocaust Museum in both D.C. and in Israel. And it is a moving place to be, both places. It is a moving place. It's not something that you go to and, and you walk away laughing and dancing and go on with life as normal. It, it's life-changing. Interestingly, they both take different approaches in D.C., the focus is more on large-scale, big numbers. You see piles of shoes and pictures of tons of people. And it is shocking in the scale. Israel, they take the opposite approach. In Israel, it's more individual. They tell individual stories and they have pictures of individuals affected by this. And it is just as shocking. The whole point is to grab your attention so that you do not forget to shape your thinking as you go from there. This morning in verses 1 to 12, Peter begins this book by bringing us to the shockingly terrible and glorious cross of Christ. And now in light of that, he calls us to go. That truth should have an impact on your life. See what Jesus Christ has done for you. See his death in your place, his blood that was shed for you, for your sin, for my sin. It is me and you who deserve to die for the wages of sin is death. But Jesus died for us. You have a great salvation, a glorious salvation, a living hope. 
Don't walk away from that unchanged. But go now and think rightly and live rightly. Go and live in that reality. Brothers and sisters, the reality is that though we long for glory, we live in a broken world and we still have that old, nagging sin nature. We face constant temptation because our present reality of life in a broken world and our future hope of... uh, We face constant temptation between our present reality of life in a broken world and our future hope of a consummated salvation. But here is the big idea this morning. Christ has conquered. And our lives must be controlled by and driven by our identity in Christ and not by our leftover lusts. We must be dedicated to the cause of Christ and disciplined in the pursuit of godliness. Be holy because God is holy. Be holy because you are his and he has called you and he has equipped you. He has given you all that you need for victory. So go. Go and be holy. Some application this evening as we come, morning as we come to the end of the service. Number one, if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Christ, if you don't know this hope of which we speak, that I would plead with you that even as we close this service, come to the front and seek me out, and I would love nothing more than to take a Bible and to answer your questions, to point you to Jesus Christ, to a living hope. Yes, you and I are sinners, and yes, we deserve to die. We've offended a holy God. And yet God in his goodness sent Jesus Christ. The just became justifier. He sent his only son to die for you and for me. To bear the penalty that I deserve so that by faith alone, not something I can earn, but by a gift, by faith alone, I can be saved. If you don't have that hope, if you don't know that salvation, then even this morning as we close, come forward. The rest of these are to those who are in Christ, but may be struggling this morning. To the backslidden. I would warn you this morning that you have traded treasured truth for worthless lies. So dig your heels in, turn around, make things right, repent, and get back on track. You are not called to be conformed to your former lusts. You are called to be holy, to be faithful in Christ. To the apathetic this morning, I say, wake up. 
See the love of God and the beauty of the cross and be moved to obedience. Let it light upon your soul like like someone in the morning turning on a light when your eyes aren't ready. Let it grab hold of you and shake you awake. Those who are struggling. There might be many reasons why you are struggling this morning. If you are struggling, hold on and lean in. Look to the cross and find motivation and hope. You can endure. And you will find God faithful. He will not let you go. Maybe you're here this morning and none of those things really apply to you. Maybe you're just generally disillusioned. Life's hard. You've just you've lost your passion. Brothers and sisters, as that as you look up and see with new eyes, look past the difficulty of this life and see the glory of the cross and the hope of resurrection. See your glorious living hope and let that take hold of your heart and guide you. How? If I am backslidden, apathetic, struggling, disillusioned, just in generally, if the Lord is doing something in me, how? What do I do? Two things. Reset your thinking and change your life. Get control of your thoughts. Pick up your Bible. Fill your mind with the Word of God. Change the way you think and then Take the next step of obedience in the right direction. Get some accountability. Someone beside you who loves you, who will hold you accountable. Get involved in ministry. Serve. Serve the church. And be faithful. Be holy, for I am holy.